Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. Hi, my name is Derek. I am one of the members of New Horizons Foursquare Church, and uh, today we'll be uh, reading through and pre preaching through Revelation chapter 12. Uh, before we get to that, though, uh, let's go ahead and review a little bit about a few of the things that we've been talking about in Revelation. So we had our introduction, cha our chapter one, uh, which contained information on John's call and th this vision of the heavenly Christ. Uh, in chapters two and three, we had seven letters to seven churches, each calling the church to persevere in faithfulness to Jesus. And most of the letters, I, there, there's one exception, we see a, uh, a call back to faithful worship of Jesus. Um, and, and so, again, we see, we see Revelation as the, this book of worship uh, even before we hit chapters four and five, which is all about this, this vision uh, of the throne room and then this vision of the lion, who is a lamb who triumphs as the slain lamb over, over, over sin and death. Um, and that, that, that lamb is the one that's worshipped. Um, and then uh, Revelation chapter 6 and 7, we see the vision of the seals being opened, that the lamb is the only one who's found worthy, and in chapter 5 is the only one who's found worthy to open this scroll with seven seals on it. Um, so he, the, the seals begin to open, or the lamb begins to open the seals in chapter 6. And then we hit chapter 7, where we have a multitude worshiping in heaven, uh, where, where Pastor Andy called, uh, there, there, there's this, uh, this counting of the, the tribes of Israel, where we have 144,000 people, 12,000 people per tribe, and it's this kind of, according to Pastor Andy, this kind of super tribe that we see there because uh, just covering everybody. Everybody's coming in to, to worship the Lamb, and everybody who's supposed to be there is there. Uh, so it's not, not a literal number, but there's this multitude worshiping the Lamb. Now, we're going to skip ahead to Revelation chapter 12 uh, today, rather than uh, go through piece by piece, say, chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11. Uh, those are good chapters. I will give a quick summary of some of the stuff going on in those chapters. Uh, and they're great to read, uh, but because we're focusing on Revelation as a book of worship, um, we're, we're going to go ahead and jump to chapter 12. So in roughly chapter 8, we, we have the end of the seven seals. Um, th those, those are finished. But then we have the beginning of the, the seven trumpets that begin to open. Um, so... The, the seven trumpets start to get sounded, and we see more, more things happening to the earth, more things, uh, more of the, the, the folks who are on earth being dealt with in, in a kind of judgment and a kind of consequences for their continued idolatry and following, uh, following stuff that's not God, following creatures and things, and ultimately even the beast who's not God. We see th this kind of recommissioning almost of John, where he gets this little scroll, and it's given this little scroll by an angel that may in fact be God. The, the angel is not described in the same way as other angels in Revelation. It's this angel who's, co who's coming on the clouds. And normally when we see something or someone coming on the clouds, that's God. That's, that's not an angel. So it may in fact be God recommissioning, calling John again to continue viewing these visions 
and to continue writing out these, these visions for folks to, uh, to go ahead and uh, listen to and to, to read. Um, then in the next section, we have uh, these, these witnesses in chapter 11, these witnesses at Jerusalem, along with measuring Jerusalem and a trampling of this outer court. So we have a lot of stuff going on in that chapter. Again, I can't go into detail on it, but um, witnesses may be Enoch and Elijah. There, there's just a lot of debate there, uh, but he's measuring Jerusalem and you have this trampling of the outer court. That's typically for the Gentiles. But you have this trampling of the outer court taking place in, in, this, uh, in this city that appears to be Jerusalem, although it's not exactly stated outright. Um, and then finally, at the end of chapter 11, you have this final trumpet, which he describes as the second woe. And a woe is just a really bad thing. Um, all right, well, let's go ahead and pray as we get ready to uh, actually read our text for the day. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we, as we read, continue to read Revelation, I pray that you would, as you say, that blessed is the one who hears this as well as the one who reads this. Lord, I pray that we would be blessed in this hearing and in this reading. Um, make make this, this passage understandable to us. Make it something that we can live out in our continued worship of you as that worship takes place in perseverance and in continued endurance. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, so before we read Revelation 12, just a few things to note. Uh, so Revelation chapter 11, verse 19, kind of serves as a transition point between the previous visions. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the trumpet and the Jerusalem or the city uh, uh, and the, the, the witnesses and the seals and the going on before but it serves as a transition between that and the next set of visions that are about to take place. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read that. So Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. Uh, then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. Uh, now, we're not told where John is as, as, as he sees this, but her, his perspective seems to almost shift to, again, as he sees, you know, these visions in heaven with accompanying lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and an earthquake, where he's viewing the heavens maybe from below them. Um, don't know for sure exactly if that's what's occurring, but that, that seems to be his perspective at this time. Uh, now, generally, if you're seeing this, you're seeing flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, earthquakes, a very hellstorm. That's all signs that something, something pretty major is happening in the heavens. Um, we, we see that when, when God comes down at Sinai, that uh, there, there's just this, uh, this fire and this cloud and all, all this crazy stuff happening. Um, or, or even when uh, God visits Elijah, where you have this massive thunderstorm, and then God finally giving, you know, speaking in this still small voice. Uh, so th this is a pretty common thing when we, when we see something major happening in heaven. Um, so if nothing else, he is viewing the heavens. Additionally, this tells us that, unfortunately, Raiders of the Lost Ark is not accurate. The, the real Ark of the Covenant is in heaven, which is, which is kind of disappointing because, yeah, that, that means that can't happen. But we'll, we'll, we'll survive. We'll go on. So Revelation contains the story of a woman, a dragon. We've got a dragon here. It's pretty cool. Uh, a son of the woman, angels battling a dragon, 
a song about the triumph of the lamb and those who follow the lamb over the dragon, and a final story about the woman fleeing and hiding from the dragon. There's quite a bit going on here. Um, so I'm only really going to have time to cover what I think are some of the more important bits in Revelation 12. Um, so let's go ahead and read that. So that's going to be Revelation 12. I will be reading out of the 2011 NIV. So a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon, with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The, dra the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the sea, or woe, woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times and a half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Pretty wild scenes. So we, we kind of have four scenes here. We have the first scene with the woman and the dragon and the woman giving birth to, to a male son, which is really important. Um, we have th this battle in heaven between the dragon and uh, Michael and his angels. Well, the dragon and his angels, and then Michael and his angels. Big fight going on. Um, then we have a song. After the, the, the dragon is hurled to earth, we have a song. Uh, people, somebody, this voice singing about the triumph of the, uh, of the, of the, uh, the people of God over, over the dragon. Um, and then the final scene is that of the woman fleeing the dragon. So let's talk about the first scene first. 
So we have the woman and the dragon. So the, the description of the woman tells us that she is one clothed in the sun and uh, doesn't tell us if, if she's wearing sunscreen. That's the first question that went to my mind was, is she wearing sunscreen? Um, but she's clothed in the sun and she's standing on the moon and she has 12 stars around her head. Um, there, there are some descriptions of, um, say, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that would kind of fit this and would kind of make sense of this. So uh, occasionally Abraham is like compared to like the sun, where uh, Isaac is compared to like the, the moon. And then, of course, the 12 stars, you're, you're thinking of what? Jacob and his 12 sons. Um, and so she has these 12 stars around her head, likely representing Israel. Um, and again, this is just a, a, a likely interpretation of what's going on here. It's not the only interpretation, uh, just one that I view as the most likely. And my interpretations as we go forward will continue along those lines. Um, so she, but she has, so probably th th this woman is, you're, what you're doing is you're kind of viewing, going to the, the, the past again, where you're coming up at this time where th this son is going to be born to this woman who is clothed in the sun and standing on the moon and has 12 stars around her head. Israel is giving birth to a son, to a Messiah, to a king who will rule. Um, but the dragon, the dragon here, who's you know, knocked down a third of the stars in heaven, so he, he's pretty tough, um, but we, and we get this description of him as having these seven heads with seven crowns. Got to have a crown for each head. Can't just be one. Um, and ten horns representing his, his power and authority. So th this isn't just like a nor your normal piddly little dragon. This is, a, this is a powerful dragon that causes a lot of destruction. Um, and we have a biblical allusion here to Psalm chapter 2. To Psalm, well, Psalm 2. Um, as it talks about, the text talks about the... the that the, the, the son being born to the woman is going to have this, this rod of iron or this, this iron scepter. He's going to rule all the nations with this iron scepter. So Psalm 2 is, is actually an enthronement psalm. So it's a, it's the, a song sung when a king, uh, in, in this case to be a king of Israel, maybe Judah, um, is, uh, is being enthroned. And, and this is being applied to Jesus. So Jesus is being enthroned, or is going to be enthroned, is being enthroned, and he's going to rule with this iron scepter or this rod of iron. That depends on uh, what translation you're reading. It'll, it'll translate that either way. Um, so th a lot going on in that first scene where, of course, the dragon wants to take down the, this son who's going to finally and ultimately rule because that's going to interfere with what the dragon is doing and the dragon's quest for power and this destructive power. Um, and then we have the second scene where Michael and the dragon battle. Uh, we don't actually get a detailed description of the battle. It's really just, uh, sometimes the translations will vary the words just to have it make a little more sense, but it's Michael and his angels battle the dragon, or the dragon battles Michael and his angels, Michael and his angels battle the dragon, and they, they battle, and then the dragon wasn't strong enough. Doesn't tell us that, that Michael won. It just says the dragon wasn't strong enough. And the dragon gets hurled down to earth as a result of not winning. Um, but in the process, as they battle, the dragon's tail knocks down a third of the stars in heaven. He's cast down. And again, we don't see that the dragon was defeated by Michael, merely that the dragon and his angels were not strong enough, uh, strong enough to stay in heaven, strong enough to win 
probably winning would have meant that they'd stayed in, hev- in the heavens. Um, and then we see multiple names given to the dragon. So one thing to note here is that as, as you look at the Old Testament and um, old translations uh, of the Old Testament, so translation of the Old Testament from Hebrew to, uh, to uh, Greek, the same, roughly the same Greek that you would see in the New Testament, um, you see that th- this word for Leviathan is the same word as the word for dragon. So as John is talking about the dragon, most likely he's referring back to this Leviathan figure in the Old Testament. And you see him in a few different locations, but it's this creature of, uh, of chaos that God has to keep under control or win against. Uh, because again, it just causes chaos and destruction wherever he goes. That's, that's what the Leviathan is. Um, and, and that is, again, frequently translated as, as dragon in the, uh, the Septuagint uh, or a group of early, uh, early translations of the Old Testament into Greek. And we do see this occur in Isaiah chapter 27, verse 1. So in that day, the Lord will punish with his sword, his fierce, great and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent. He will slay the monster of the sea. Uh, that's something that, that, we're, that we're looking forward to, that Isaiah was looking forward to, and that we may still be looking forward to, that we're going to see more of in Revelation where the, this serpent, this dragon is defeated. Um, he's called the ancient serpent. Um, this, this is a reference to Genesis 3, where the, the serpent goes into the garden, uh, tempts Eve along with Adam. Adam appears to be there the entire time. Um, but he tempts Adam and Eve, and things kind of go belly up. Um, he's also called the devil. Might be, this might be related to slander. He's also called Satan. Um, Satan is more a title than a name. We, we kind of treat it as a name nowadays, and that's just the way we see it. Uh, and that's, that's okay, generally. But it, it really is more of a title than a name. And it has to do with accusations being made. So, the, so that's why we see the, the, the Satan in, in Job is, gives, uh, the, is accusing God, and uh, one, accusing God of playing favorites with Job, and two, accusing Job of, honestly, only following God because he gets stuff out of it. So, so the, the Satan is this accuser. Uh, making accusations before God regarding both God's treatment of Job and Job himself. And this Satan is also the one, or this dragon, who's also the Satan, is also the one that leads the whole world astray. Now, then we have a song. It's a song of triumph over the accuser, over the Satan. And where, where does this triumph come from? doesn't belong to Michael. It doesn't say it belongs to Michael, according to the song, but to the brothers and sisters who triumph via the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Let's, let's, read, that, let's read that again really fast, just to kind of emphasize it a little bit. So, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. So, so again, we, we see here that the, the rule of his Messiah has come. The, the, this, this son who's born to this woman, who's clothed in the sun and is standing on the moon, has occurred. And uh, so he's, he's ruling with, he has authority, so he's ruling with this iron scepter or this, this rod of iron. And the salvation and the power has come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters 
who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. It makes it really hard to accuse them if you've been hurled down. Um, and how did they, but who triumphed? So they triumphed over him. Who's they? Our brothers and sisters. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. So, a song of triumph. And again, doesn't belong to Michael. Michael battled, yeah. But the triumph belongs to who? The people of God, the people who follow the, the Lamb, who by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, that's how they triumph over, over the this, this Satan, over this accuser. It's a wild scene, a great scene. And then we have our fourth scene. So we move back to the woman, um, and, and this appears to be almost a uh, kind of a recentering on the woman. And whether it's something occurring after the first scene or maybe during the first scene, it's kind of hard to tell. It may just be that as the scene shifts back that John is seeing a little more clearly how the woman's fleeing to a place of safety took place and, and kind of the, the details of that. Um, and again, it's a, it's a little hard to tell um, from the way John's written this and there's some debate over it. I, I tend to think that the woman, um, the woman is fleeing, the, the woman fleeing again is, is actually just an expansion of what we see in that first scene, but not everybody's going to agree with me. Um, so, but we have this, this scene of the woman who's fleeing from the dragon. The dragon pursues her, what, by, by spitting out water, which, I mean, first thing to note, ew. Uh, next thing to note, because so, he's just spitting out all this water. I mean, it's like me. That's why people don't sit in the front row in many cases, because they know their preacher spits when he gets excited. Um, <laughs> so, but we have this dragon who's just spitting out this, this torrent of water at the woman. Uh, now remember, and, and we, we, we talked about this a little bit before a few, a few weeks ago, that, that th this water, one, under the throne room, it's the, this crystal sea. Here it's not necessarily uh, calm yet, but th th this water is th this, this picture of chaos. So as he's spewing out this water, it's this picture of chaos and destruction because, again, he wants to destroy the woman. Uh, the woman's already given birth. They, the, the son's already been taken up to heaven, but he wants to destroy this woman at this point. And so he just spews out this, this water. Um, but then the earth swallows up the water. Uh, so the, the earth is swallowing up these chaotic waters. So the earth is a place of at least relative safety versus the waters. And I, I mean, yeah, you may have an earthquake or something that causes damage, but generally speaking, it, it's pretty safe. You, you don't have as many storms occur that cause the, the issues that you would on the water where we can't breathe underwater, we can breathe on earth, bit of a difference. Um, so, but the earth then swallows up these waters and these waters, these destructive waters are defeated by being swallowed up by the earth. Um, ultimately, the woman finds safety in the wilderness, wilderness for a, a, a period of time. Um, but the dragon stands at the shore of the sea to prepare for his next plan. Um, 
Now, in certain cases, uh, verse 18 will actually be moved over to the next chapter. In other cases, it will be uh, kept with uh, chapter 12. I'm keeping with chapter 12 because I, I like a cliffhanger, and we do kind of have a cliffhanger here where there, there's going to be some interesting things happening. But we have some really important things occurring in this text that Ethan is going to tell us about. All right, awesome. Thank you so much, Derek. Uh, this is what you call the old switcheroo. We're just going to change speakers on you for no reason whatsoever. Um, Derek just painted for us this incredible scene that's going on in Revelation chapter 12. And I look at this, I read this, and I just think, man, this is insane. We have, we have the dragon, the beast, the woman, uh, her children. We have the blood of the lamb. We have Michael. We have so much going on here. And it's this incredible picture. Uh, and what it's doing is it's talking about really the center of history. What is, what is this struggle that's going on in all of history? And it's happened in the past. But it's also explaining our, our present situation and our present circumstances. Then it's also laying the grounds for our future hope and, and giving a revelation of what that will be. Um, so there's so much going on here. And I just look at this. I mean, this is an amazing picture. What am I supposed to do with this? Right? It's hard to look at it and it's, it's, it's hard to go, oh man, what am I supposed to do with this? And while I'm, I'm not really a, a, an authority on life application of Revelation chapter 12, um, I do just want to share with you what feels natural to me when I read this. Um, and the, the first thing that really just felt natural to me was just to revel in it. You know, we are reading Revelation and, and it just felt natural to look at this. Uh, and to just be in awe of it. You know, this chapter, it, it has, uh, the, the verses in it are in songs that I've heard growing up. It's, it's passages that I've heard read over and I've heard teaching on it all, all throughout my life. Um, and it's easy when that's the case to just let it brush over you and go, oh yeah, I know this passage, this is a good one. You know, but it, it takes uh, a lot of pause sometimes to just read it and to just actually think about it and revel in it revel in the glory of God that just seeps through it, the awe and the grandeur of it, to, to revel in the fact that the blood of the Lamb has atoned for us, that the accuser, the devil, the enemy, he has no power. It, it's giving an explanation for our life and our, uh, the circumstances that we're in. Like, this is just amazing. Just think about this for a moment. Uh, th this passage, like I said, really just helps us make sense of our lives. Um, and at the end of chapter 12, it gives this description of this furious dragon that's at war with the people of God. It, it says um, that uh, he makes war with those who keep God's commandments uh, and those who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, I mean, war like that, that's a, that's a big thing, right? To be at war. And, uh, and this scares me a little bit, honestly, because I'm not a very... I'm not a very brave guy. Uh, when I think that I, I have this ferocious dragon with multiple heads and he's like waiting to devour me and hates me and is at war with me, here I am like, like that's intimidating. Uh, like uh, here, here's an example. When I was uh, first year of marriage, um, Jordan and I went to bed one night and, and I wake up in the middle of the night and I just start yelling. You know, and yelling is generous. I'll be quite frank. It was more of a scream. It wasn't, it was by no means brave. And, uh, and she wakes up 
And she's like, Ethan, Ethan, what is going on? Like thinking somebody's in the house. And I just look at her and I go, sorry, I do that sometimes. And then I lay back down and she's like, what have I gotten into? <laughs> like, and I'll be honest, that was not the last, like I do do that sometimes. And I, I continue to do that sometimes. I wake up and I just give this very cowardly scream because I'm probably dreaming of something bad happening. So all that to say, it's silly, ridiculous story, but all that to say, I am not a brave guy by any means. Um, so I look at this and I go, oh my goodness, this dragon is at war with us. This is, this is crazy. Um, but I find it incredibly encouraging and reassuring to know how the battle ends. Uh, you know, look at verse 10 with me here. It's, it says, uh, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And get this, this is verse 11, this is so good. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Man, isn't that just so nuts to look at that and go, this is how the battle ends. The enemy loses. Like, amen to that. That is so good to know that that the battle is won, all right? We don't have to fear. We don't have to worry. We can be brave in knowing that the battle is already over, that the enemy has already lost. Um, so uh, I look at verse, uh, verse 11 here, and there's a couple things that, that really stand out, a couple very important truths. As I look at that first word, this is how we triumphed over the enemy, right? The, the followers of Christ have triumphed over the enemy. And that word triumphed is so good. And I look at that and I, you know, I don't know the Greek for triumphed, you know, I don't, I don't know how to break it down and all that, but I do know in the English language, when something has an ED on the end of it, that means it's past tense. That means that it has already happened. It's not, they were going to triumph or they're currently triumphing. No, it says they triumphed, that they already won. The people of Christ have already triumphed over this enemy. And I think it's important to know how we triumphed, how we did that. Uh, it, it tells us really three things. It says, by or because of the blood of the Lamb. Now, whose blood? Not my blood, not your blood, not our ancestors' blood, but the blood of this Lamb, the blood of Christ. All right, and why is this so important? Because our enemy, what, what did it say so many times in that chapter is that he is the accuser. That's another name for this dragon or the devil or Satan is the accuser. He's constantly bringing accusations against us, telling us how wretched, pitiful, poor, wicked sinners we are. But how do we fight that? We have the blood of the lamb who atones for all of our sins, who covers that. And we, we can look at him and we, could, we can say that, yeah, I was a sinner, but Christ has paid for that. So you can't bring any accusations against me. What else does it say we used against him? It says, by the word of their testimony, because of the word of their testimony. We also hear in this passage that he's a deceiver. The enemy is a liar and he's constantly putting out these lies. And what do we have? We have our true testimony. Our testimony holds water. His lies, his deceit, it doesn't. It all falls away. And that's so clear when we give an honest, 
true testimony of what Christ has done. So we overpower the enemy's weapons. He has accusations against us, but our debt has been paid. He brings lies to our ears, but we know truth. And we have a word of our testimony. So now all that he can do, the only thing that he can do, is to make our lives on earth absolutely miserable. And that's what he tries to do. That is, that is all he can do at this point. And guess what? This passage, this chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 11, it says, We did not love our lives so much as to shrink from death. This is so good. I, now, I don't want to scare anyone who's watching this. I really don't, don't want to freak you out. Uh, but you are going to die. I am going to die. We are all going to die. Hopefully this isn't the first time you're hearing this. <laughs> I, I regret to be the first one to tell you if that is the case. Um, so knowing this, that we are going to die, Christians, we don't retreat from death, but we charge it head on. We don't try to preserve our lives, but we lay our lives down. We don't work to secure more comforts, but we live pursuing the will of God wherever that may lead us. And why do we do this? Why do we, why do we not fear death? Why do we not shrink back? Because we know the promises that Christ makes to those who overcome. Right? This is about us overcoming the enemy. Christ overcoming the enemy with us, for us. And what is the promise that he makes to those who overcome? Well, do you remember Revelation chapter 2? In Revelation chapter 2, it said, To those who are victorious or overcome, I will give them the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Right? So that's one of his promises that we read in Revelation chapter 2, that he is going to give those who overcome the right to, to eat from the tree of life, to live forever in paradise. We also know the one who overcomes will get to sit on the throne. You remember this from Revelation chapter 3. It says, the one who is victorious or the one who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. And then in chapter 4, we read this epic scene of what's going on in that throne room with six million angels singing out in praise and the sea of glass and lightning and creatures and, and elders and Christ is in the center of it and everybody is worshiping him. And he says, that throne, that throne, we get to sit with him on that throne if we overcome. He's promising us a share in his glory. Like, first of all, how humble of him. Like, that's crazy. And just what an epic promise that he makes to us if we overcome. So the Christian looks at this and says, I have absolutely nothing to gain by preserving my life, by not shrinking back. By, by shrinking back, I have nothing to gain. So this chapter here, this verse, it, it's so encouraging to us and it gives us a great deal to think about because it really is the center of our history and it's already happened in the past. It's this decisive battle against Satan and it was fought in the life and death of Jesus and his resurrection. And now this place that we're in that we're going to read more about is this tension, this kind of strange spot uh, where we were delivered uh, from, from the grips of Satan, but we're also 
uh, and, and we have our, our citizenship in heaven, but we're yet to be perfect in the flesh, right? We're not yet perfected, and, and we also have uh, the world and Satan, who is in the world, uh, are not yet wholly abolished. They've been defeated, but they're not abolished. And therefore, we're more than conquerors, but we still have to fight, right? We're still in this. And we'll talk more about that fight in, in the coming chapters, in the coming weeks. But I just want to leave us with this encouragement, is that uh, though uh, we are in this war against this enemy, we, we can be encouraged in knowing that it has been won. And it's been won, won by the blood of the Lamb. It's been won by the word of our testimony and by not shrinking back. So we'll just end in prayer and, and we'll go from here. Lord, we're just so grateful for the atoning work that you've done. Christ, for laying down your life for us, for the blood of the Lamb. Lord, thank you for redeeming us and saving us from the grips of the enemy. He can bring no accusations against us because you have paid the penalty. He cannot deceive us because you alone are the tr truth. Lord, we praise you and we are just so grateful for your goodness and your redemption of us. We worship you and in your name, amen. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.